Chapter 10 Jim told him he was coming to Vulcan for a month, two months ahead of time. Two weeks prior to Jim's arrival, Spock had yet to tell his mother. It was not that he was uncertain as how to tell her, nor was it that their relationship was so fraught he felt he could not speak to her. It was... They had an understanding, an easy rhythm to their lives, just the two of them sharing the house while Sarek and Cybok coexisted on Earth. A large part of that, Spock knew, was due to the fact that Jim was absent, and that Spock kept him absent. So it was a strange thing, finding the words, the timing, the courage. He had to tell her Jim was coming, though he should not tell her. He should ask, and not make it appear that he was dictating. But if he asked, and she refused, then they would be back to the last time Jim was in his mother's life, and she and Spock had been distant to each other, and Spock was seventeen now, almost eighteen. You might as well say something, Amanda said, and he startled badly. She laughed a little, tucking her hair behind her ear and rooting through the refrigerator. She was not even looking at him, seated as he was at the counter. I thought we had more of a sketh, she said, distracted. I had it for lunch, he said, putting down his pad after a last, lingering glance at the photo Jim had sent him of a space dock. Spock had not been able to properly appreciate it last time he had been, as he had been otherwise distracted by stupid people. We could have stir-fry. We had that last night, she sighed, and proceeded to stare into the refrigerator as though it would reveal its secrets if only she lingered long enough. We've had that a lot. It's time to accept we might be boring, Spock. What are you going to eat when I'm gone for weeks? We're going to have to go shopping. Number one is coming to Vulcan for the conference, Spock said, and he did not pick at his cuticles or smooth his hand over his thighs or speak too quickly. He very pointedly did not do any of those things which he reflected might have been worse than doing them, or at least as bad. She, Jim said she offered to bring him, and he accepted. Oh, she's coming to the translator conference? Amanda asked. She gave up on the refrigerator and went to the bread box, pulling out a loaf of rich, honey-made bread they had bought the previous weekend. That's good. I like when she's there. It adds an air of... What's a nice way to say that she always seems like she's actually two seconds away from killing people, but in a really sociopathic way that even Vulcans can't really handle? That doesn't translate to polite, Spock told her, after considering, and she pulled a face but nodded. I wondered how you would feel about Jim visiting for part of the stay. Amanda paused, and Spock tried to read the set of her shoulders, the line of her back, but he could not. She pulled out a knife and began slicing the bread. Start making the garlic dip, she said. You know I'm presenting at this conference. Yes, Spock said. Perhaps he could go with her to the conference. He and Jim could stay in the hotel while Number One and Amanda gave presentations. It was not ideal, but it would be... Well, terrible. Amanda hummed under her breath and then put down the knife, leaning her back against the counter. The light in the kitchen was a rich reddish gold, and she looked young just then. His mother always seemed ageless, but now, in this moment, she seemed young. I don't want to say no, she said after a moment's consideration. I want to tell you that he can stay here, with you, while I'm at the conference. I feel like we're in a better place. I feel like you're in a better place, and Jim has to be. On the other hand, I'm not wild about leaving you two unsupervised for a month, especially since it's just the start of summer vacation for you. Spock stayed quiet. There were so many things he could say, and almost all of them would result in her saying no. She sighed. Let me talk to Captain Pike. It was not a no. He had to hold on to that fact that she hadn't said no. When he excused himself from dinner, he had a list of missed messages. 
Your mom just called Pike and now he's uber pissed at number one. How big is your bed? Do Vulcans sleep on wood, Spock? These are important things to know. Do I need to bring lube? Oh my god. Dude, what if you got ugly, Spock? I can't handle you ugly. Lie to me. I've been giving it careful thought and I want your dick in me. I have to shower. I don't understand why you're never around. Spock, I just took a shower and I had my fingers in my ass and this dildo and two weeks is a really long time. Spock, I came so hard I think I passed out. And I was thinking of you. Spock made a face at his pad. This, he thought, was the worst part of being apart, and called Jim. Hey, Jim said. Just audio, no visual. Spock locked his door hastily, engaging the headset. Jim? Is your dick double-ridged? Jim asked. What? Spock reminded himself to tread with care. Last time Jim had questions about Vulcan anatomy, Spock had wound up fingering himself and taking a poorly lit shot of his asshole. I mean, you never send me dick pics, so I was thinking, ridges? Maybe a flower? Oh shit, Spock. Do you have, like, a Venus flytrap down there? Spock, if you don't have something capable of fucking me, I'm going to be so disappointed. This led to Spock taking a picture of his dick and sending it to Jim, who wanted to know if it tasted like wintergreen or spearmint or sour apple, and Spock coming so hard he strained something. Hey, Spock, Jim said lazily, when Spock's breathing had returned to a more regulated state. Yes? Two weeks and you can actually fuck me. He hung up then, because all other things being equal, Jim Kirk was a complete asshole. Jim was going to stay with them in a guest room. He was going to arrive in the evening on Spock's final day of the semester, and he would stay with Spock while number one, or as Spock was baffled to find, Yuri Vulosobihan de Daiskofi of the Illyri Sector Wars, attended the conference with Spock's mother. Spock had reviewed the timetable with Jim, with Captain Pike, with Number One and with his parents. He felt confident that things would go well. Jim showed up at school. Spock reflected that he should have seen that coming. Jim liked to make an entrance, and he had been far, far too vague about when he was going to be able to meet up with Spock upon his arrival. Spock liked to think he would have sensed him, but really, he recognized the heated stirring and the way his classmates were drifting towards the entrance of the building, striving for some kind of nonchalance. T'Pring was parting them, moving the wrong way against the flow of students, and her left eyebrow was pointedly arched. Jim Kirk is here, T'Pring said, stopping in front of him. She glanced down in the pod where Stan was still finishing up the day's assignments, refusing to deviate. Failure to complete in a timely manner results in points off, she told him. Stom threw a stylus at T'Pring's head and reprimand for the interruption. She caught it without a look down and continued to stare expectantly at Spock. It was possible that allowing Jim this moment would be less humiliating than standing here with Stom and T'Pring. Possibly. Yes, Spock agreed. T'Pring looked at him expectantly, and Spock realized that he could not stay here and collect himself. He was going to have to go out there. When Spock had been young, before they'd moved to Earth, he'd asked his mother why she wore Vulcan styles when no one was ever going to be fooled into thinking she was Vulcan. She told him that she did not dress that way to pass as a Vulcan. She did it because she married a Vulcan and had two Vulcan sons, and she lived on their planet. And while it was Sarek's job to stop talking when she was trying to tweak the Universal Translator, it was her job to support him. Only one of us has a very strong cultural identity linked to our job, she said, and the gowns are very pretty and practical. What she hadn't said was that she was a target, an enormous banner of attention, 
and so that in whatever way she could deflect criticism from herself, from himself, or Cybok or Sarek, she had. She could not be Vulcan, but she could respect that she had married into Vulcan society. His mother was a brilliant tactician. Spock had never learned the lessons, but perhaps because he was Vulcan, he always meant to feel the inverse. He wore Vulcan clothing when he had been young because he was Vulcan, inescapably so. Jim was inescapably human. He stood out among the sober garb of Spock's classmates, pale gold hair a shock amidst the sea of black. He was wearing a white t-shirt, soft and worn, and maybe just too small. His jeans were new, though, tapering over dust-covered Starfleet-issue boots. His mother's rucksack was slung across one shoulder, Kirk W., still the shocking black against the faded olive. He was talking to a couple of Spock's classmates, grinning at them, pleased with himself and amused by them. He was perhaps worse than Cybok, Spock realized, fond. His classmates, however, were appalling. They touched his arms, his hair, and it was a blatant invasion. If Jim had not been someone who was already aware of the fact that Vulcans were touch telepaths, it would be a gross invasion of privacy. He is very attractive, to Prang mused from behind him. Spock glared at her, and she flicked her fingers at him dismissively. Human is not sexually stimulating to me, even as a fetish, she dismissed and then, with remarkable tact for her, added, You are not in full control of your shields. Stav was leaning into Jim's space, and Jim was allowing it. Stav was attractive, tall, two years older than Spock, and had a reputation for being a skilled lover. Spock was going to kill him. Shields, Tupring repeated. Although if you have to be emotionally compromised, there are worse things to be compromised for. Spock had excellent control. It was often remarked upon, Scathing and resentful, but there, noted over and over again, he was a powerful telepath, and he had staggering control. That he should be so obviously compromised was untenable, and he was suddenly furious with Jim for putting him in this position. Spock had another year to live amongst these people, another year to endure their constant remarks about the inadequacy of his genetics, the flaws of his humanity, and Jim had come here as though to prove that Spock would never be Vulcan. Jim was here for the summer, and Spock could... Spock could endure anything for Jim. Could endure anything knowing that Jim was at his side. But he was going to be here alone, with these people, and Jim was going to leave again. Already Spock was too emotional for their tastes. Though T'Pring's interpretation of him as not Vulcan seemed to be taking root and working in his favor. As he was not Vulcan, he could not be shamed for his emotionality. But their story might change if he were to be... if he were to smile or kill someone, or smile and kill Stav. He was struck with the insane urge to flee. He could not know, Tupring said quietly at his side. It is not logical to blame him for wanting to see you as badly as you wish to see him. You were not meant to be on his side, Spock told her. She tilted his head. Shields, she said firmly, and then glanced around. Is he still not finished? How is this possible? She demanded, and stormed back into the school, presumably to find Stan and to continue to be a terrible friend to Spock. When Spock was calm, he moved forward, or rather he tried to, but people refused to move once he got to a certain point. And so he stood outside the deepest cluster of them, arching an eyebrow at their backs. Finally, he sighed and said, Jim. Spock, Jim said, shoving his way through the crowd in a way Spock could not, careless and violent. Surprise! And just like that, Spock forgave him. It was achingly clear Jim had not done this to antagonize Spock, had not given a thought to the ramifications of this for Spock. 
Jim had done this because it had been years since they had stood in front of one another, and Jim had been unable to wait. Spock's fingers ached. He wanted to grab him, to take him away quickly, to not engage in this performance. Their friendship was not for these onlookers. It was for no one else, and certainly not before Spock had taken the time to know Jim again. It was one thing to text and call and video conference back and forth, but it was another to share the same space. The last time Spock had seen Jim, he had still been bruised and only barely healing, and Spock had not felt this out of place, this uncertain, since he was seven and a strange boy had scaled his garden wall. Commander Eurovilla Sabolin did not require you into the evening, he asked, focusing on his shields, on keeping his features clean and his body language appropriate. Who? Jim asked, frowning and adjusting the bag on his shoulder his hip jutting just enough for his shirt to ride up, exposing the smooth skin tight over a hip bone. It was all violently unfair. Number one, Spock clarified, lifting an eyebrow at him. Oh, yeah, no, she pretty much ditched me, Jim said, easy. Her meeting got moved up or something. You're done, right? Yes, Spock said, beginning to walk towards the transporter building. Coming? Jim fell into an easy step beside him. Not yet, he said, and Spock did not need to look at him to know the shape of his smile. But I have high hopes. Spock did not hit him, but it was a very, very close thing. The journey to Spock's home was oddly strained. Spock was out of the habit of filling silences, and Jim was clearly refusing to speak. Spock tried to articulate to himself all the ways in which Jim was different. His hair was darker, but his eyes were bluer somehow. The cut of his jaw was hardening, and the scars along his cheek from the time he had jumped from the car had almost vanished. He had grown into his nose, and the growth spurt had arrived at last. They were very nearly of a height, though Spock remained taller, and if he felt some satisfaction at that, he would naturally deny it. How pissed is your mom about this? Jim asked abruptly, as they stepped off the shuttle. The final mile to the house was on foot, though there was a cruiser that could be used. He would use it if his mother ever remembered to leave it in the garage. She is supportive, Spock said, blinking as his eyes adjusted to the sun. Jim slid on sunglasses. Yeah, he snorted. She does not, perhaps, anticipate the extent to which I have planned to have you, Spock allowed, because part of the artful deception he had maintained was that he and Jim were simply codependent friends. Perhaps more. Perhaps. But it would all be new. If she knew Spock had sent Jim a dick pic, she would not have let them stay alone. You're such an asshole, Jim said, and Spock caught him by the wrist, easy and familiar, like a song he had known from childhood. It might have been years since he had last heard it, but he would always know all the words. Knowing Jim was like that, comforting and intimate. Now Jim came to him easily, pressing against him, letting Spock pull him close, tilted his face up the scant inches for Spock to kiss him. He wanted to do it now, kiss him hello before they saw Amanda, before they crossed the threshold of his parents' house. Jim's fingers trailed across his, and it felt as though all of Spock's nerve endings had lit up, were singing under the attention. He pulled Jim in, one hand around his waist and the other at the nape of his neck, Jim's hand on his back. It had been two years since their last kiss. It scarcely mattered. His mother was gone already, had left a message as she was packing about how she hadn't gone grocery shopping because maybe Jim would want to see what that looked like on Vulcan, how bizarre it was to shop somewhere where no one ever listed prices. Where was the other shoe? Did she pack her itinerary already? Remember to call Sarek. No wild parties. Well, Cybok might encourage that, and who had the patience for it? 
Sidewalk listened to the entire thing, because his mother liked to do that, set her phone recording and walk around the house, narrating whatever she was doing as much as she was talking to him, and she'd been known to stick important things at the very end to ensure they listened. He had been trained young. Still, it was strange to listen to his mother's disembodied voice with Jim right there, lips red and slightly swollen from their kiss, and so Spock watched the recorder, because it was easier. Jim was leaning against the counter when Spock hit the end button, and the smile he gave Spock was small, strangely restrained. It was... unfamiliar. A blatant, snarling reminder of how long it had really been. What? Spock asked. Something tight in his stomach. And then the smile shifted, twisted into something brighter, wicked, briefly hidden as Jim stripped off his shirt and cocked his hips. So, where's your room? Spock felt like he was losing patches of time, every third step maybe. He was irrationally frustrated by that. He wanted to remember this, wanted it pressed in vivid detail into his memory. Jim's mouth was cool against his, ambient temperature of humans lower than Vulcan's, lower than Spock's, which ran still higher. Their teeth clacked together, two years out of practice and moving, moving. Spock pushing Jim down the hall, through his bedroom door. Jim laughed when Spock pushed him up against the door, unbuttoning his jeans. No, wait, do you? Come on, you've got like a fucking billion layers on, and I've just got jeans and socks and boxers. Dude, get naked, Jim said breathless. And Spock pulled off his tunic, his shirt and his boots, hopped out of his trousers. Fuck your asses. I kind of want to eat your ass, which is weird. Watching it in porn, you're like, yeah, I could do that. But then you think maybe in actual practice, you'd be a little bit... He broke off, because Spock kissed him again, swallowing the rest of that horrifying sentence. It was heady to grind his hips against Jim's, to feel their cocks sliding against each other, to have the expanse of smooth skin against his. No Venus dick trap, huh? Jim murmured at one point, but Spock dismissed it because there was only so much attention he could devote to Jim's insanity over the more pressing matters of having sex right now. They made it to the bed, Spock falling with Jim on top of him, laughing and pressing stinging biting kisses to Spock's neck, his clavicle, the line of his jaw. When they had been young, almost a decade ago now, they had wrestled a lot. It was difficult now, with Jim above him, red-cheeked and panting, not to remember that, not to remember the boy who had only looked less unhappy when he was sitting the victor on Spock's ribs. Jim was so much better now, and Spock could not have imagined this then. He could not have imagined how his hands were hungry for every inch of Jim, pressing and dragging along every inch of exposed skin, leaning into taste to worry at one of Jim's nipples. Jim's breathing hitched at that, caught in his throat as he rolled his hips, Spock's dick sliding between his cheeks. Okay, okay now, Jim decided, getting up, and Spock would deny that he made a longing, bereft sound when Jim got off of him. It would not matter, because Jim was laughing when he returned, a small tube of lubricant clutched in his fist. Yeah, you're not doing me dry, Jim told him, coating his own fingers and reaching behind him. Spock watched, fascinated, at the ease of the motion. How often, he started, wrapping his fingers around Jim's dick. Oh, like every shower, Jim gasped, and sometimes just to have it, could pretend it was you, you know? was a reminder, uh, to be good. You required reminders, Spock asked, lifting an eyebrow. I'm 16 and hot, Spock. Do you know how many people want to fuck this? People who aren't light years away? Jim demanded, and effectively derailed Spock's rage blackout by guiding Spock's dick inside him. They both hissed at the too tight burn, because Jim was impatient and had not properly prepped himself for the intrusion. Jim's fingers dug into Spock's chest as he lowered himself, until Spock was seated fully inside him. Spock thought he could die from this, 
that it could kill him. No one else. Spock snarled into Jim's lips when Jim bent for a kiss. No shit, Jim gasped, riding Spock hard. We're never getting out of bed. They have delivery on Vulcan, right? Synthesizers, Spock replied, and was fairly shocked that he could even find that word, that he could find any words. Jim was sweaty, Vulcan hotter than he was used to, and he was trembling, fucking himself back onto Spock and then up into Spock's fist. His skin was flushed, red spreading down his chest and up into his hairline. Jim came first, clenched down almost too hard on Spock when he did. Jim was vocal, surprising no one, but the sound he made when he came, like it was punched out of him, ripped from his lips. Spock wanted that noise again and again. Jim was beginning to slump, and Spock rolled them over, because he was so close, so close. It wouldn't... He knew that the first time often led to one or both parties unsatisfied, but it would be too cool for this not to. Just come on, just fuck me. You're such a... How are you still thinking? Jim demanded, and Spock slammed back into him. He was being too rough, careless in his need, but Jim was only broadcasting pleasure, and when Spock came, he was hunched over Jim, biting down on his shoulder. Jim's hands were in Spock's hair, tugging until Spock let go, could kiss him. They stayed like that, pressed together, for a long time. The sweat on his skin was cooling, and the cum between them was growing tacky, would be uncomfortable in another minute, but Spock didn't care. He listened to Jim catch his breath, felt his heartbeat slow under Spock's palm. Jim shifted, pressing into the pillows a little more firmly, and Spock brushed a kiss to the side of his neck. Broke me, Jim mumbled, and made a soft sound when Spock pulled out of him. He should do that sooner, in the future, but it was not comfortable like this. He stretched over, pulled out a handkerchief, and cleaned them up superficially. Jim was easily manipulated, pliable and acquiescent in Spock's arms. Never, Spock replied, and Jim huffed at the base sentimentality of it, but Spock ignored him. He was unbothered whether or not Jim needed to hear it. Spock needed to say it. He could breathe promises like that into the dark, heavy space between them. It was less terrifying to think, I love you, when there weren't light years between them. Jim's breathing evened, slipping, if not into sleep, then into something close, and Spock shifted, pulling back to trace the marks on Jim's back, the scars just under his left shoulder blade, jagged and thick and never satisfactorily explained. There are others, smaller and familiar, and nothing new. The patches of roughened skin from his flirtation with death had become smoother, and Spock would have missed it if not for the fact that his fingers knew where to go. I'm boring, Jim mumbled, turning in Spock's arms. His eyes were almost eerie in the dark, lit by the various tech in Spock's room. Nothing new. I am grateful, Spock argued, too honest, and he knew it was, that it would have looked a scoff and perhaps embarrassment, but Jim surprised him by laughing a little, shoving at Spock until he had him arranged to Jim's liking. When Jim had settled, half on top of Spock, he pressed a kiss to the underside of Spock's jaw. Yeah, he murmured, and then settled down, leaving Spock to war against the unexpected surge of violence in his blood. He would kill for this, could do it, would destroy planets and civilizations, and this. This was why Sarek had spoken of temperance, of control. Spock did not know how Cybok lived with this feeling inside of him fully acknowledged, how he retained his composure and compassion. It was dangerous. This was... Fuck's sake, Jim muttered, batting at Spock's face, uncoordinated and tired. Go the fuck to sleep. Spock did. Spock woke first. Jim was pressed into Spock's side, defiantly clinging to the small portion of the bed Spock had not taken over, 
closed in between Spock and the wall. He was beautiful in the warm light of the morning, the reddish hue of the sun touching him in a coppery gold. Spock hesitated to wake him, watching the steady rise and fall of him breathing, remembering that it was a luxury. Jim would jerk awake if Spock made a move towards him, would startle and tense, because Jim Kirk hadn't woken slowly a day of his life, and while Spock would acknowledge much had changed, that never would. Eventually, however, the need to use the bathroom was too great, and Spock extricated himself. He was halfway off the bed when Jim jerked awake, on his elbows and looking around wildly. Jim, Spock said, and Jim's eyes snapped to him. Some of the fear, wariness, panic, falling from his face. Spock, it's too early to be awake, Jim groaned, falling back into the pillows. Then sleep, Spock said. I hardly need your company while I urinate. Kinky, Jim approved muzzily, grinning at the ceiling. Spock arched an eyebrow at him, and then went to go do just that. He did not look different. He had expected perhaps some visible cue that he was no longer a virgin, but he simply looked like himself. Really, he was absurd. Jim was warm when Spock slid back into the bed beside him, brushed his thumb over the barely there stubble of his cheek. I'm not shaving for you, Jim said. The romance is dead, Spock replied, and Jim cracked an eye open to grin at him. I'll let you fuck me, he offered, as though in trade and Spock leaned in and kissed him, less heated than last night, but still hungry. He wanted everything. Perhaps in a week he would not feel so anxious, but for now, for now he was jealous, covetous, for now he was his most human. Jim was still loose from last night, Spock able to slide two fingers in easily once coated with Jim's lube. Jim writhed, incapable of staying still, arching away and bearing down all at once, as though it was too much and not enough simultaneously, and Spock ran his other hand up and down the tight line of Jim's stomach, soothing. Another, another, come on, I'll get one of those dildos, Spock, I swear, I... <laughs> he broke off, high and breathless, as Spock pressed on fingers three and four and curved them, finding Jim's prostate and pressing relentless. Fuck, fuck, shit, Jim gasped, arching up and thrusting his hips helplessly, dick hard and leaking against his stomach. You were saying, Spock asked, and Jim made a wordless sound, though it might have been Romulan. Spock could not quite tell, and it was not the appropriate time to ask about linguistics. He was making grabbing motions with his hands, fingers clenching into fists. Spock went to him easily, let Jim kiss him hungrily, pressed the whole of himself up against Spock. No dildos, Spock murmured against his lips, sucking at the full expanse of Jim's lower lip. Not today, Jim agreed which was probably as good as a promise as Spock was likely to elicit. Turn over, Spock told him. Bossy, Jim huffed, but did it, wrapping his arms around a pillow as Spock kissed his way down Jim's spine, marveling at the muscle playing across his back, at the way Jim was no longer the skinny child Spock remembered. He bit into the swell of Jim's ass, just to hear the noise, somewhere between indignation and laughter, that Jim would make. Look, I don't know why you think foreplay is the best idea ever invented, Jim managed, but if you don't fuck me, I'm going to, like, explode or something. Spock sighed. Clearly this is something they were going to have to work out, and they had months to do that, a gluttonous expanse of days and nights. Still, he knelt behind Jim, slicking himself again, pumping idly. Jim shoved his ass back, impatient. Wait here, Spock said, pulling at Jim's thighs until he laid down. It was too early to do anything truly athletic and he could still slide into Jim like this. It was tighter, and he watched as his dick disappeared into Jim, until he couldn't. Had to stop because the haze of sex was tinged with something else, 
Discomfort. He paused, and heard Jim's breathing hitch an abrupt staccato. It's just... fucking deep, Jim managed. When he realized that Spock had stopped, Spock dug his fingers into the sheets, kept his hips still, and pressed his lips against Jim's temple, waiting. It's okay. Okay, let me just... He arched his back a little more, rolling his hips, fucking himself back onto Spock's dick. He did it a couple of times, experimental, and then shifted on his knees, spreading them a little wider. He made a helpless noise, then, one hand flying back to grip at Spock, urged him forward. Fuck me. Fuck me, come on. Oh, fucking please! Jim groaned. He fucked him with short thrusts. Whatever control he'd had last night evaporated. He wanted. Had wanted for years. And Jim was here, fingers pressing bruises into Spock's ass as he pulled him closer, urged him on, panted and squirmed beneath Spock, rolling his hips to meet every one of Spock's thrusts like he could die if he didn't. Spock didn't know who came first, knew only that it was Jim who got up to get a cloth to wipe them down, because Spock was spent, exhausted, defeated. They fucked many different ways. Jim liked to drop down, use his mouth to reduce Spock to a trembling mess. He liked it when Spock was rough, like the last three years had failed to teach Jim anything about being gentle. And so by the end of the week, Spock had wrapped Jim's hand around the headboard, told him to stay. He had taken his time, ignoring Jim sobbing and pleading with him. His hands had not moved, and after, Spock had gathered him close, kissed him and kissed him until Jim was himself again. It was not something he would do often. Perhaps when they were older, he would be able to take Jim apart down to the atoms of him. But not yet. Still, eventually they did run out of food, and synthesized vegetation always tasted faintly metallic. This is why you should just eat meat, Jim would say around his steak, and Spock would flick wrong-tasting peas at him. They would have to go into the city, which Jim met with genuine enthusiasm, which was to say Jim did not balk and offered to trade sexual favors. He did, however, insist upon sunglasses. Your son is really harsh, okay? I have delicate genetic recessive eyes, and you don't know my life. It would be fine, Spock thought. In reality, it would be a disaster. Hiding his one's eyes was a rather agrarious faux pas. I absolutely could be your biographer, Spock replied, and resigned himself to the fact that he was always going to be remembered for this, the way people still remembered his father and mother walking around the streets of San Francisco, early into their courtship and still so young. Yeah, Jim agreed, lips twisting up in a smile, as though it was a revelation, to remember that Spock had been there, continued to be there. Yeah, you could. The city was sprawling, ancient and beautiful. It sang with the history of their people, the collective consciousness of Vulcan past and present, and those who might be, if Cybok was to be believed. Jim wanted to go to the very bottom of the buildings, to see the sheer drop below him. Spock looked on indulgently, though he was less indulgent the fifth time. Give me a break, Jim said, hands and face pressed to the glass, sunglasses perched on top of his head. A pink semicircle the shape of Spock's teeth was faintly visible on the back of his neck. We built everything up, and on Tarsus there wasn't a lot of buildings so much as a lot of dying. Spock coughed, because if he did not, he was going to laugh, and the disapproving elders behind them would undoubtedly find someone to tell. It was inappropriate to laugh at tragedy, regardless of Jim's coping mechanisms. They headed up to the primary level, and Spock reminded himself that they weren't ten anymore. Then he just grabbed hold of Jim's wrist because he could see the need to pick up, hold, have, take. They stopped at the market, and Spock went to go buy the necessary basics, while Jim refused to be moved from the exotic import section tucked away in its shady corner. Vulcans were nothing if not consistent in their xenophobia, 
Spock thought to himself. Isolationism was fine until it was embarrassing, and Spock was Vulcan enough to be mortified that he was being humiliated in front of a human. Still, while he was very logically pointing out the vendor's prices were outrageous, Jim came over. Here, Jim said, handing the vendor coins. Those are worth eight times that, the vendor told him, disapproving. Spock tried to look as though he was simply an onlooker. Thanks, Jim said brightly, and walked away, produce in hand. Excuse me, Spock said, and walked behind Jim, watching him pull the stupid human act over and over again. It was illogical to get angry, and none of them figured out how to object, and so Jim walked out, paying the merest fraction of what he should have. I know you think it's hot, Jim grinned, tilting his sunglasses down when Spock joined him outside. You are lucky you were not arrested. Jim laughed, bright, and too loud in the space, but Spock could not bring himself to care. So this is Jim Kirk, Ston said. Spock looked at him, tilting his head in query. She is shopping, Ston said. It possibly involves buying the store. I was unclear on the details and did not read into the attack plan. I see, Spock said. Yes, Jim. This is Ston. Ston, Jim. Jim lifted his fingers in a salute, which Ston returned, slower. Thanks for the Tarsus assist, Jim said. Who is it who's in there, and why are we afraid of her? To Pring, Spock said. Your ex-wife? Yes, Spock agreed, because it was simpler to meet Jim's flat tone with a mild carelessness. Easier, perhaps more accurately, it was fun. Let's go say hi, Jim said, and Spock watched him go up the stairs. Will you not follow? Ston asked. This will surprise you to hear, Spock said, joining him and leaning against the building in the shade, but I find living preferable to dying. You are very wise, Ston said gravely. Spock slanted a look at him, and they listened and heard nothing. Spock could not sense any distress, however, so he thought they would be fine. I approve of him immensely, Tepring announced. Her arm was linked through Jim's, and Spock counted five new pieces of jewelry. Jim had a slender and definitely delicate-looking ring on his pinky. If his ex-wife stole his boyfriend, Spock was actually going to commit grave acts of homicide. I am thrilled beyond the telling of it, Spock said, extending his hand. Jim caught it, let himself be drawn to Spock, tucking against him and holding out his hand. She bought me bling. He is very dishonest, Tepring reported, putting her arm through Stone's. It was a fascinating turn of events, most unexpected. He acts as though he has no idea what is happening and blusters through the entire transaction. Yes, Spock agreed. We spent only eight credits in the market. Tepring lifted her eyebrow. For all of that? You guys really think we're stupid, Jim said. Turns out you're kind of idiots about it. Spock lifted his eyebrow at him, and Jim just widened his eyes, affecting a blank expression. Stop it, Spock said, and Jim grinned, knocking his sunglasses down onto his nose. What are your plans for today? Ston asked. Fucking, mostly, Jim said, before Spock could think of a way to maneuver around the question. Logical, Tepring agreed. May your sexual intercourse continue to be satisfying. She and Jim exchanged contact information, and Spock shared a moment of sheer panic with Ston. I like her, Jim said as they walked away. You said she's really traditional, though. She is... less so than she was, Spock admitted, allowing Jim to take some of the bags from him. I believe much of it was parental influence. Mom's the one who taught us how to do that, Jim said. The stupid human thing. If people have this perception of you, you shouldn't fight it. Just use it against them. She said Dad always tried to correct people, but she thought it took too long. Spock tried to think of some way to say that he thought she must have been a terrifying woman in a way that would not insult Jim. 
She was kind of crazy, Jim said. It's okay to say you think so. I do not remember her, Spock demurred, because he was in fact his father's son. She was frequently gone, and you were absent when she was present. He remembered that vividly, that Winona's return to Jim's life meant that Spock would only see him at school, and then only sometimes. He wondered what Jim would have been like if she had lived, if she would have made any difference. He liked to think she would have. Yeah, Jim said. And when they rematerialized, a mile from the house, Jim's expression was distant, like he did not allow himself to think of his grief very often, and it was still so sharp because of it. Spock could not imagine it. Number One and Amanda came to the house when Jim and Spock were having a fight. To be fair, they were expected, and had let Jim and Spock know they were on a transporter and only ten minutes away. Spock just had terrible timing. In his defense, they had been talking about Jim leaving that night, and the conversation spiraled away from them. They were actually very good at displaced anger, both of them. It had been a good day, quiet, and Spock had had Jim. Shut up, I had you. Three times. It was a good day until the message came from Amanda, saying she was 45 minutes away. And now they were fighting. Jim, Spock had discovered, now flipped to a miasma of Illyri and Romulan when he was mad. Spock had not spoken Romulan in years. Not since. It had been at least six years. No one who wasn't Illyrian spoke Illyri, because no native speaker would talk to anyone else about the language. Spock knew this because it was one of his mother's favorite rants. At the end of the fourth week, Spock was back to his old fluency in Romulan, and was conversant in Illyri out of sheer self-defense. All of which meant that Amanda and Number One walked in, Jim and Spock were fighting across the house in four languages, mostly about the fact that Jim was refusing to take a Starfleet Academy-sponsored year next year that would put him ahead when he finally went to the Academy. "'You don't actually run my fucking life!' Jim snarled, from where he was packing in the bedroom. Number one was going to stay on Vulcan for another month, but Jim was going home to take entrance exams. If Spock had to follow him, sit him down in the chair, and force him to participate, he would. "'Neither do you,' Spock pointed out, carefully slicing mushrooms in the kitchen. "'Obviously. Maybe I don't—' "'Try that on someone who will believe it, though I wish you luck finding someone who will,' Spock interrupted, and Jim threw himself into a chair into the island. It was an odd thing. Spock's mother frequently walked away when she was arguing with his father. Jim refused, would dog Spock's heels, grab at him, force the confrontation. It was Spock who was constantly trying to walk away from it, trying to give them both space. "'Are we interrupting?' Number one asked from the door, and they both jerked up. Spock missed his fingers only because Jim grabbed the knife from him. "'You are in time for dinner,' Spock replied, and she nodded her dark eyes on Jim. Were you speaking Romulan? Amanda asked Spock, putting her bags down and unbinding her hair with a sigh. Did I know you could speak Romulan? Are you fluent in Romulan? I do not do it often, Spock said, starting on the peppers. That's not a no, she pointed out, taking over the dinner preparations from him. And that's quite a hickey. Spock slapped a hand to his neck, staring at Jim, who smirked at him and pointed, mouthing, other side. Amanda was laughing, though. Cybok was impossible to embarrass, she reflected, almost wistfully. So you will torment me because you could not do so to him? Spock asked, wronged. Cybok was the worst. He challenged anyone to endure Cybok as an older brother. Even in his absence, he still tormented. Some day you'll be a parent and understand, she said comfortingly, and started boiling water for pasta. Or not, and you'll carry this injustice to your grave. Number one and Jim were talking quietly, and it was interesting, looking at them together. Number one was shorter than Jim now, slight and delicate, and both of them had their hands in their pockets. Strange mirrors. 
He wondered if perhaps number one had been. They all knew of the Illyri sector wars. They consumed and devoured the planet until children had reached out to the Federation. Of those children, only one was found alive, and she had been one of the king's wives. Yuriliva Sobayan, Da Daishkov, disappeared shortly after a truce was negotiated, and no one had seen her since. Spock wondered how young she had truly been. She was not more than forty now, and the last of those wars had been at least twenty years ago. It had been all bloody and brutal, and the Illyri people would not speak of them, even now. It was still too raw. Spock wondered, watching her navigate Jim's space, if she had been as instrumental as Pike in Jim's recovery, if perhaps she had been more so. You said you don't speak it and you said you didn't speak it any more, Amanda accused abruptly. A number one lifted her head, one of her eyebrows lifting as well. She was actually strikingly beautiful. No, I said I wouldn't teach you, she corrected, smirking. What are you cooking? Is it terrible? Amanda narrowed her eyes and then looked at Jim. Are you fluent? she demanded. Uh, Jim said, glancing between them and then at Spock. What? Illyri, are you fluent? I, no, Jim said, slouching a little. Chen tilted up. Lie, Spock said mildly. Jim glared at him. Perhaps you two could speak it to one another. Spock and I are very quick learners. It would be helpful to add it to the universal translator, Amanda said, pointedly glaring at number one. Spock could feel that this was a very old argument. Wait, I have a better idea. Number one said, widening her eyes for effect. We don't, and say we did. Jim was laughing, chewing on his lower lip, and Spock was so grateful to his mother, to number one. The evening went smoothly, though Jim was quieter than he had been. Number one made up the difference, deftly turning the conversation around, and when she and Jim had left for the night, Spock expected nothing. If Spock had been reluctant to let anyone see their relationship out of self-defense, Jim was only performative when it suited him. So it was a surprise when on their doorstep, it was Jim who leaned in to kiss Spock goodnight, his hand sliding up to palm Spock's jaw, holding him close until Spock's hands gripped his hips. I'll see you, Jim said. Let me know when you are on board and when you arrive, Spock said, releasing him, and it took a moment for Jim to step away from him. Really good friends, hmm? Amanda said when the door was shut. Spock looked at her. I did not lie to you. You omitted, she said folding her arms over her chest. Your father tries to pull that with me sometimes, and do you know what I say? Lying is lying, whether by omission or falsehood, Spock repeated dully, because this, at least, he knew. Exactly, she agreed, and exhaled through her nose, looking tired. Are you in love with him? I am seventeen. She nodded. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Come on, help me clean up. He did not notice it at first, though he could be excused for that. It was just a small binder on his desk, and he was distracted by Jim leaving. One more year, and he would never have to do it again. Not unless he decided to leave, or Jim did. One more year before the decision was theirs. T'Pring and Ston came over, and it was T'Pring who found it. I liked him, Ston was saying, though you never buy me jewelry. It is logical to adorn beautiful things, T'Pring replied, and Ston looked at Spock, who only just refrained from pointing out that Ston was the one who had fallen in love with T'Pring, and he knew what she was like. We are friends now, she added. You're friends with a human, Ston agreed. Yes, she agreed. My mother is having fits. Spock did not know what it said about him that T'Pring's rebellion was linked to his boyfriend, but he was certain it was nothing good. She continued to flip through the file idly. I did not know you were applying to the Science Academy, she said, arching an eyebrow at him. I thought you were going to Starfleet Academy. I am, Spock said, and she handed him the sheaf of papers. 
That is your signature, she said. I, the above signed, verified that this application to the Vulcan Science Academy is complete and accurate. It was his signature. We could make him an honorary Vulcan on his bureaucratic aptitude alone, Tipring murmured as she went through it. They could not refuse you based upon this application. They could not refuse you anything with this application. How did he get the notes of recommendation? Stan wondered, flipping through the other pages. I do not know, Spock said tightly. He was furious and hurt, and he wanted to jump on a ship and go to Earth and shake Jim, demand answers from him. The application was in perfect mimic of Spock's handwriting, down to the syntax of his sentences. It would be flattering to be so known, if Jim was not so wrong. Spock pulled out his phone while Stan and Dupring marveled over the application. Kirk, this is remarkably unsubtle even for you, Spock said. Well, I guess it's good that subtle wasn't what I was going for, Jim said. You should send it in. No one rejects them if they get accepted, Spock said. I know, Jim agreed, and Spock stopped wondering if they were even having the same conversation. Hey, I gotta go. Fifth period is starting. Call you later. Spock stared down at his phone, and then at the application and course materials, and then at his friends. Jim did not call him back, and Spock could not bring himself to shake answers out of Jim. Not when. It was bizarre. It was so strange, the timing of it and it was such a misread of Spock. Going to the VSA was a commitment to the Vulcan way of life that Spock had not been comfortable making for over a decade. He had long ago realized that he could not be himself if he was going to hold himself to an ideal that he neither agreed with nor extolled. More than that, they had been fine, better than, they had relearned each other. Spock had thought that month was a reaffirmation, but what had triggered in Jim the thought that Spock should stay on Vulcan? Had the kiss been a goodbye? It was not as though Spock was in this relationship because it was fun for him. Granted, yes, the sex was great, and when they were good together, they were incredible. But it was hard, and Jim was... not easy. Spock had broken laws for their friendship, and Jim's name, and he regretted none of it, would do it all again in a second. But he had invested time and money and himself into this relationship, and here in his hands he held the obvious truth that Jim... valued none of those things so highly. And Spock could not... He did not know who he was without Jim, and all the ways Spock had been there for Jim, Jim had been there for Spock, pulling him out of his head and coming up with kidnapping plots, and being this place Spock could just be. Jim Kirk was the first person to accept Spock as a person. There was nowhere else in the universe Spock knew to go to figure things out except where Jim was. Even Spock's mother had come to terms with their relationship. When he had been too young to know better and too young to understand, he had thrown his lot in with a boy who was incapable of keeping himself safe, let alone the piece of Spock he had been given. And it was hardly fair, because Jim never asked for it, never pretended that he was in any way equipped to handle what Spock was giving him, never pretended that he even understood that he had been given something. But it had been years since Spock felt the need to remind himself of that. Apparently, he should have been more vigilant in remembering, and remembering that Winona Kirk's legacy of running until you run out of ground lived on in her youngest son. It was like listening to Jim drive off the cliff again. He felt as though he was standing on the landing of the embassy in San Francisco. Here he was again, too far away to do anything useful, to do any good, while Jim did something to permanently erase himself from Spock's life. He should have remembered that despite all of his healing, all of the ways in which he was better, Jim Kirk was still a fucking asshole.